In this episode, you will hear from Alan James Moore from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Alan is an international safety and leadership speaker who started off as a soccer player, who turned to comedy, who was then chased by elephants, and later decided that talking about safety was a better career for him and his family. Alan will share with us his incredible turn of events and how he managed to put all of his talents and experiences together to educate his audiences about the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to safety leaders. He also shares how he uses storytelling to educate individuals on the three fundamental rights of all Canadians under Part 2 of the Labour Code. Alan is a master at making somewhat unexciting information, but important information, exciting. All that and more on your wellness. Hi, I'm excited to be introducing my next guest to today's podcast. So I'd like to welcome Alan James Moore from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Welcome to the show, Al. Thanks for having me, Lisa. It's great to be here. Well, I think we have a lot to talk about because Al is an international speaker. He's a leadership expert, a registered safety professional, a published author, a husband, a father, and just an overall great guy. So I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show and we have a lot to un- unveil. So why don't we just start out with getting to know you a little bit better. Share with us how you manage to visit and work all around the world. And you know, we only have so much time, so maybe not every story, but just give us a little insight into you. What's Al all about? Sure, Lisa. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't start out with a wanderlust uh, necessarily. I I had an opportunity to play semi-professional soccer in Scotland. And so I jumped at it right out of uh, when I finished my university program, I had played uh, university soccer there. And so I went over to Scotland and, and from there, while well, I, first off I, I played and it was, it was wonderful. And, but realized that I wasn't good enough to pursue it professionally. And there I was in the, the middle of Scotland going, wow, everything in Europe is really close. Why don't I just go and check out a few things before I go home? 11 years later, <laughs> after traveling for 11 years, I, uh, I was, um, you know, ended up, ended up in Calgary and, you know, I, I loved all the traveling that I was able to do. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the main things for, for the listeners to, to, to key in on, especially any young listeners is that I didn't have any possessions and that's what enabled me to pay for all of these flights and and train, uh, train trips and bus trips and all the rest of it is all I had was a backpack. So um, travel, if you want to travel, don't buy the car, don't have the car payments, don't buy the condo, don't have the condo payments and, and any of that, that other stuff that you don't need. Well, I always wonder how someone like you gets to travel all over the, you know, all over Europe or all over the world. Like, how did you afford all that? So that makes a lot of sense when you don't have a lot of expenses back home. So you mentioned, you also mentioned to me at one point that you are a stand-up comedian, and I find that very fascinating. How did that evolve, and how did you realize you were funny? Well, it, it just, I grew up in a Scottish household, so anytime, there, there wasn't, you know, probably until about the age of six, my parents would be kind about 
poor humor. But after I was about six or seven years old, you want to bring a joke at the dinner table in a Scottish house. It's got to be good one. It's got to be a good one. You got to bring your A material or everybody's, everybody's going to give you a dirty look. My dad was funny. My mom was funny. So I, I just, I had to hone my material and my sister's funny and she's very, she's a very A type personality and she's four and a half years older. So anytime that I spoke up, it had to be good or I would get that dirty look. Uh, so kind of the do better look. Uh, so anyways, and yeah, and, and with friend groups, uh, lots of people feed, give me feedback saying, you know, you got to get into this, Al, this is for you. And, um, you know, I do a lot of accents as well. So it just, it just kind of made sense that I would, that I would give it a try. Yeah. I guess you started off with a really tough crowd, eh? They were really making you work hard on your craft. So you have like, you have your regular life, you have your, your, your life as a father and a husband, and you have a full-time position, a career, and you're speaking, where do you fit this in? And what do you do with this skill as a stand-up comedian? Well, the, the, the thing about the stand-up is there really isn't a lot of time for uh, a family man to be involved in this necessarily. It's, uh, I had all kinds of cautionary tales from, from talking to all the top comedians in, in Canada as they would come through Yuck Yucks and we would be on stage together and backstage hanging out and having, having drinks and stuff. And they said, if, if this is, you really have to have a certain type of family to make this thing work. So what I've done is I, I kind of, and also, I mean, you're, this is a nighttime gig. Right. So you're going to bars and speaking, you know, performing in front of strangers instead of hanging out with your with your family, which is where I would prefer to be. So I decided to parlay it into public speaking. Uh, so once I you know, got kind of what everyone would expect to be called a real job in safety. I, I looked at safety and I thought, wow, geez, there's a lot of there's some good speakers, but there's a lot of really boring speakers who are, you know, addicted to their PowerPoints and and really not, uh, you know, capturing the audience, the audience's attention. I thought, is there is there an opportunity here for my for my comedy and safety to merge and to create uh, a kind of a different humorous storytelling um, type atmosphere that the the audience could really get into and and so that's how I kind of parlayed the stand-up comedy experience into uh, being a a professional safety speaker. That's brilliant Al that's brilliant and I think I think I agree with you that there are some speakers out there that are brilliant at their craft but not necessarily have that gift to you know express more interactive or engaging or comedic um, view of some sometimes safety conversations aren't always that exciting. Is it, they're important, um, but I'm glad that you're able to do that. So that's a great segue because you are a professional speaker. You are um, a great storyteller. I have listened to you talk and share some stories, but there's one story that keeps popping up that I still haven't heard the whole story, and that's when you are being chased by elephants or something like that. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. So we were. Uh, a few friends and I, we went to the Okavango Delta in Botswana to track elephants on foot. And when we got there, we, our local guides, there's a, a rule in the area that only locals can guide you. And my South African buddy said, well, you know, the, the local guides are amazing trackers, but they're not great at elephant behavior. There's a, there's a bit of a disconnect there. They can find any animal that you want to find in, in this crazy outback bush. And they did, they found this, these elephants and the elephants started making aggressive overtures towards us. They started flapping their ears when they noticed us. And keep in mind, we're on foot, no guns, nothing. And, uh, 
and were quite close to them, which I felt a little uncomfortable about. And when they flapped their ears, I said to the local guy, I said, you know, I saw that on, uh, on the Discovery Channel and they said that that was a form of aggression. Uh, maybe, maybe we've, we've just take our pictures and, and get out of here. And, and the, the local guides both laughed at me and, and said, uh, you know, listen, don't worry about it. We know what we're doing. Okay. Just you relax. You take your pictures, just relax. Okay. And so then the elephants went up on their hind legs and started roaring at us and, again, I look at my friends and their faces are completely white with terror. And I turned to the local guides and I said, wow, okay, now we're kind of frightened. Uh, do you feel like that might be an aggressive overture and towards us, perhaps a warning? And they, they laughed and spoke in their local language to each other, basically saying, you know, these, these, uh, these foreigners don't know anything. And, and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, you know, you, you, need, you really need to relax, okay? relax we know what we're doing and then the elephants started to charge and i turned to this local guide and i said well okay um what do we do now <laughs> and uh you know trees are snapping and the jungle is shaking uh you can feel the ground under your feet and this local guide looked at me and he looked back at the elephants and he said run <laughs> which is the wrong thing to do. And we <laughs> ran and our cameras are flying and, and our Oakley sunglasses and our backpacks. And we're, we're like a shotgun start too. It's, it's every, every person for themselves. You know, uh, I know that I was faster than my buddies and you know, like I'm running off in this one direction and the, the guides are running. And it was just a, a ridiculous scene. And the only person who stayed was my South African buddy. And he actually drew the elephants towards him because he knew that sometimes if you run, it, what, what, what starts as a mock charge uh, might turn into a real charge. And so he, he stood his ground. And, and, and how it kind of relates to my safety speech is that in the story, there's a good, a good safety leader, there's a bad safety leader and an ugly safety leader, the good, the bad, and the ugly, just like my favorite Clint Eastwood movie. And what I do with the audience is I discuss who they feel the good, the bad, and the ugly safety leaders are within the story. And then I share my own experience and I relate it to the three fundamental rights of all Canadians as part of the part two of the Canada Labour Code. You know, the, the right to know about the hazards in your workplace, the right to participate in assessing and controlling the hazards in your workplace. And finally, the right to refuse unsafe work, which is what we should have done. I should have <laughs> turned to the local guide and said, we don't feel safe. Take us out of here right now. So, and wow. it's just... And then I, I kind of relate that across to uh, to the workplace safety. You know. Wow, what a great analogy. And I finally got to hear the full story. I'm glad I finally heard go. it. <laughs> so I what I heard was watch when elephant flap their ears. <laughs> that's, the, that's something I'm going to take away from that as well. That's the first indicator. And then and, and there's indicators in the workplace for safety. So it's, it's kind of, it's yeah. like that. It's yeah. a great, yeah, it's a great, it's a great way to uh, speak on one side and really link it to safety, which is what you're, uh, you're really good at sharing. Um, so actually, we, we were just in Nebraska a few weeks ago, and we were at a safety conference. And I think, were you talking about the, I think you were talking about the uh, elephants at that safety conference as well, right? Bringing those three fundamentals. Yeah, out. yeah. That was and, them. yeah. and during that time, we also had a meeting of the minds with respect to our passion for health and wellness. So we started chatting and going on tangents about the things that were important to us. So can you talk a little bit about why your health and wellness and your lifestyle is important to you and what habits are you committed to? 
Yeah, would, would love to. I, I've been involved in athletics, basketball, baseball, soccer, volleyball, baseball, or sorry, I already said baseball, uh, boxing, track and field. Ever since I was a kid, I, I, I didn't do well in school, but I did well in sports. So um, I, I got parental love that way. <laughs> Throw up the big violin, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and, and through that, I, I just uh, reaped fantastic health benefits. From, from being active. And now at my age, I'm, I'm, I've just turned 46 and I realize I'm, I'm still trying to play with the 20 year olds, play soccer and play basketball and all the rest of it. And I realize that I can't do it without uh, the proper fuel. And, and that, that means, you know, getting the right uh, mix of vegetables and, and, and good meats and good fats and all the rest of it, the carbs and the sugar, I've, I've really had to kind of push those aside. Um, and it's not just about uh, my sports performance and how I feel, but it's, it's also about mental clarity. I've, I've had, uh, got diagnosed with ADD back in 2011. I always kind of knew it was an issue and really it's not uh, any kind of crutch for anyone listening who, uh, you know, a lot of people don't, don't even believe in ADD, uh, attention deficit disorder. Uh, but it's just basically the way that, that my brain works. Um, it's, it's very simple. My, my wife could say, you know, you're going to the grocery store, don't forget milk and butter. And I start driving, I start thinking about something completely different. And milk and butter is the farthest thing from my mind, I return and I don't have the milk and butter. So what I need to do is I set an alarm in my phone for the approximate time that I will be walking through the aisles. And the funny thing is, Lisa, is that <laughs> when the alarm goes off, I actually am shocked by it and go, I wonder what that is. <laughs> so, so, so this is, this is how my mind works or actually doesn't work. But when I'm eating the right foods and especially adhering to kind of a plant-based uh, ketosis diet, uh, that mental fog goes away and I have a better chance of remembering the milk and butter and, and, and staying focused uh, throughout my, throughout my workday. So um, that's, that's kind of what it's, what it's meant to me. And it's, it's really had a, had a positive, positive impact on my work life and also my personal life. So it sounds to me, um, Al, that you're using a healthy, healthy lifestyle for physical, for physical requirements, uh, you know, keeping up with your young sporty buddies and staying healthy for your family, but also that mental clarity. And that is something I, we, we chuckle when I chuckled when you were talking about, um, the, the, the uniqueness of living with ADD. And we were talking about this too previously that I have adult ADD as well. And when you, when you, you talk about the challenges, yes, there are some quirks to, you know, your mental clarity and your memory and those things that I think we both experience. but there's also, it's also good that comes out of that. Like, I don't, I don't want it to be a crutch. Like you said, there's, I think there's reasons why many of us are living with certain attributes and, yeah, we don't want our listeners to think living with adult ADD is a bad thing. It's it's just something that you learn to live with. Um, and I like I like how you've come up with some tools to remind yourself of the milk and butter, and then be surprised by it. Oh my gosh, I got a text. No, it's an alarm. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I I like hearing other adults finding ways to manage their ADD because I, I, I have to learn new strategies all the time as well. So thank you for sharing that. I think it's important and important to link what you're eating to mental clarity as well, because food really has a huge, huge impact on how you think and feel mentally and physically. So that's super cool. Mm, absolutely.
So we have been living through a pandemic. That's no surprise to anybody. We are going on almost two years now, Al, as you know, and we're still not out of the woods yet. We have some challenges to overcome still, but I, I would like to end our chat with some, some positive thoughts. So what blessings have surfaced for you when it's come to the past two years? What have you noticed? Well, it's quite cliche for, for people in our, our industry to say, but gratitude. It's a different situation right now. And things that you took for granted, whether it be family or just being Canadian, think about the lotteries that you had to win to be Canadian. Think about the lotteries mm. that you had to win to, to be healthy, uh, to be born healthy, and then, and then you know, have role models that uh, demonstrate health on a, on a daily basis. Weird things like that, but also just going for a walk. And like in autumn, I'm looking out the window right now in Calgary, and, and there's these beautiful yellow and orange leaves that are that are falling off of the trees. And it's just it's just kind of like they, you know, they always say the great reset, and it's been used over and over and over mm -hmm. again. But really, it, it really is a great reset for for me to get closer uh, uh, to my neighbors when Alberta was allowing those those cohorts to form. And we would, we would go on the end of our driveways and, and stay six feet apart. And we became each other's family when people couldn't go out to their old folks' home and see their old folks. We became each other's family. And we really became closer and got to know each other more and, and were kind to each other and, you know, buying groceries for each other and, and saying, uh, you know, doing small repairs in the backyard or to the fence or whatever it was. We, we just, we became, uh, your friends kind of became more of your family. So I... I think that uh, there's been a lot lost, but there's been a lot gained um, in, in terms of gratitude and recognizing it. Absolutely. I love that word, gratitude. And you're right. It's, I don't think it should be a cliche. It's, it's really a, a valuable word that I think we're starting to understand and appreciate. What are you looking forward to? Let's, let's pretend this is over and we have the ability to, to move around and basically do the things that we're, we were once allowed to do. Do you have anything that you're looking forward to? Do you have any plans that you'd like to share publicly or any goals? Yes, absolutely. I Basically what we did a couple of weeks ago, Lisa, when we got to go to Nebraska, people were, were saying, you're pretty excited about this Nebraska thing. And I, I was like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't need, to, need it to be Disneyland. I know that the people in Nebraska are incredibly friendly and I don't know if I would ever maybe take a flight to Nebraska. And I'm looking forward to all those kind of things like the, the speaking face-to-face, -face, connecting with the audience. It was a little bit startling because I hadn't done it in almost two years with the face-to-face. I've done the, the virtual speaking, but you know, that very first two minutes, I don't know if you found this because you've, you've been speaking face to face a wee bit, but uh, I did. And it was just all these eyes looking back at you. That was the first two minutes was startling. And then the next, you know, couple of hours of it was absolutely wonderful as you were making eye contact and, and people were laughing and people were, were, were sharing their opinions. You could see their facial expressions and all the rest of it. And not, not having like 99 people muted uh, you know, all the time while you're trying to interact with, with one person and trying to make this thing happen. So I, I would say that definitely, you know, the opportunity to jump on a plane, take a short flight, um, you know, to, to somewhere like Wisconsin or 
um, you know, Wyoming or, you know, uh, any other kind of place that we might get to go and speak and connect with new people. That's, that's, I, I can't wait for that opportunity. Oh, good, good. Yeah, and you're right. I did, I did feel a little bit, um, it was a little bit awkward the first few minutes, a little bit unique, you know, to be in front of people again. But yeah, I, I think I agree with you that I look forward to um, moving around and doing what we love to do. And that's speaking in person and engaging with people up close. Well, I thank you. You are a fascinating guy. You've got a lot to offer the safety world and leadership world. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, keep practicing those, um, those interpretations of different voices. I think you're great. You're great. All those accents that you can do. Uh, you have lots, you have lots to put into your speaking, uh, your speaking role. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be a colleague of yours and thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Well, thank you for having me on Lisa and, and all the same back to you health uh, and, you know, in health and safety is, is mm -hmm. kind of the, the redheaded stepchild gets forgotten about. And it, it actually, <laughs> it actually is, is top of the top of the pyramid right now, because people were unhealthy, we're, uh, we're unhealthy because of COVID, uh, because of what we eat, um, we're unhealthy because of what we're what we're thinking, our fears, all those kind of things. So never before has it been so important to have health uh, fully integrated um, into, into the health and safety conversation. So thank you for what you do. Thank you. Absolutely. Agree with you hundred percent. Take care. All right. Okay. You too, Lisa. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of your wellness. For more information on any of these episodes or to make a suggestion for a future podcast, you can send an email directly to Lisa at newdaywellness.ca. That's L I S A at newdaywellness.ca. Dot ca.